Hello and welcome to This Month in the... Ah, damn. Live Like the World is Dying is what we're doing. But it's This Month in the Apocalypse. Wait, you have to... You said you promised you would do it in the um, the movie preview voice. Oh, right. Okay. Let me start over then. No, just, <laughs> just the This Month in the Apocalypse line. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. let me try this. Welcome to... Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. And this is our monthly edition of This Month in the Apocalypse. How's that? C plus. <laughs> okay, I'll work on it. I'll throw some okay. more in during the app. This Month uh, in the Apocalypse. Oh, that's much better. Yeah, okay. Do that one. This Month in the Apocalypse. There we go. B minus. Seriously enough. Okay. All okay. Right. Yours, yours was A plus, mate. Bye. Uh, I'll give myself an A minus. <laughs> uh, I'm Brooke. I'm one of your co-hosts for this month's this month episode, and I have with me. Hi, I'm Margaret. Hi, I'm Inman. Yay! But before we get into the news, uh, we're going to give a little shout out to one of the other lovely podcasts on our podcast network, Channel Zero. And here they are. The Anarchist Radio Berlin. From across the pond. So it's the Anarchist Radio Berlin. With audios in English, Spanish, and German. And please, don't mention the war. You can find us at channelzeronetwork.com and aradio-berlin.org. to this month in the apocalypse that was a lovely jingle from one of our friends uh today we're going to talk about lots of fun things including apocalyptic weather and uh hate crimes people being hate crimes they have sick people being mean hate crimes is better <sighs> and other fun and wonderful things well the weather's been really nice everywhere right <laughs> no no, it hasn't. Oh. We ended um, our episode uh, last month. That would have been the uh, the recap of July 2023's um, news events, talking about uh, historic heat waves. We talked about Phoenix and um, everything melting there. And we talked about uh, heat wave in Europe firing up again this summer and wildfires in Greece and I think we talked about some other weathery things too. And surprise, surprise, they continued on into the month of August. Um, can I just post a uh, this an addition to our Phoenix was really hot. What the hell episode, please? Yeah. Which, which is that I I later learned like later that day that there were a lot of reports of people going to the hospital from falling and getting burned by the concrete badly enough that they had to go to the hospital. And this was not like an isolated situation. This was like a widespread thing that happened was that the concrete was so hot that people had to, were getting like burned badly enough to seek treatment. 
Do you think that when they named the city of Phoenix, they were like, let's just name this after a thing that's on fire and then hope for the best? (laughs) Yeah, probably. That's probably what they thought. Cool. But it rises from its ashes. It lives on like the city does forever and ever. Okay. Um, Okay, well, we'll come back to the hot stuff, but let's do the cold stuff. Um, I've got stuff about uh, some glaciers and some hurricanes and some wildfires. You might even say that my subjects are a tale of fire and ice. Oh, well done. (laughs) On the ice part, um, glaciers are melting. We've talked about this before. Um, And, of course, the the process of glaciers melting is um, somewhat natural, right? Like glaciers naturally melt a little bit and then get sort of restocked um, with uh, fresh snow, which then melts. And that um, fresh glacial water provides fresh water to a lot of people in the world. In fact, uh, about 2 billion people in the world's population get their fresh water from melting glaciers. Um, So that's about a quarter of the world's population relies on fresh glacial water. Um, And even if we globally meet uh, any our most ambitious climate targets, the world is still going to lose about half of its glaciers by the end of the century. And spoiler alert, we're not meeting any kind of climate targets. So it's probably going to be worse than that. So um, yay drought. Wait, no, no. Drought's yay. Um, okay. So glaciers melting right now. If we in... pretend like we're accelerationists, this whole thing will be so much more fun. <laughs> Hey, let's do that for this episode so I don't cry when I log off. How's We're that? We're so excited about the end of all the... No, I actually don't know if I can do that with a straight face. I'll just revert uh, back into my time as a Mormon person in which uh, the end of the world was okay because it was predicted to happen and that means Jesus is coming. And so we're fine with climate change and all of those things. Well, I'm just saying that if the like Gulf, if the Gulf streams stop... Then, uh, you know, Arizona, where I live, which we all thought was going to be, you know, taken out by heat and drought, will be a lot more reasonable. And by that, I mean uh, one of the only habitable places. Oh my gosh. Inman and I have been been arguing about Inman's choice of where to live, which makes me the villain. If anytime you're arguing against someone about their, their choice to live, you are the villain. And one of the core parts of this is that Inman is fully aware of certain models that predict more rainfall and more cold <laughs> coming to Arizona. Well, as soon as they said so everyone that, should move I was to like, Phoenix. oh, that's our advice. That's why. That's why Inman lives in Phoenix. I see. Okay, that's how that threat model worked out. I understand now, finally. <laughs> okay, uh, we're, we're going to leave the U.S., though, and talk about uh, Germany. And well, actually, we're going to talk about the, the Swiss German Alps, the mountain range. That's Swiss. Um, yes. Well, they border. There are. Uh, okay. I'm being a pedant about something I'm not right about. Please continue. Cool. Um, so, one of the things that melting glaciers have led to is revealing things that have gone missing, like hikers. <gasps> Uh, For instance, uh, this month, the remains of a German alpinist who went missing in the mid-1980s was discovered. Sorry, not this month. It was the late July that the person was discovered. Um, In calendar year 2022, the uh, Swiss Alps lost 6% of their volume. 
which is the highest amount lost in a single year on record and double the previous record high, which was set about 20 years ago, 2023. And of course, we don't have all of 20, excuse me, sorry, 2003 was when the previous high record was set. We don't have all of the 2023 yet data yet, so we don't know how much they've lost this year, but last year was the highest on record. And there were other things that they uh, uncovered last year as the glaciers continued to melt that we will probably see things this year. For instance, um, it melts in some places melted all the way down to rock that hadn't been revealed in millennia. So showing some bare patches. Um, and last year they even discovered in addition to missing hikers, they discovered a lost airplane cool. because of the melting. This yeah. is, this is like the one thing that I'm like, like all the lakes that are drying up in the American West and they're like finding like people that bootleggers had thrown into barrels and then like dropped into the lake or whatever, yep. you know, I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> this, this is the, this is the glacial equivalent of it now. Yeah. <laughs> Except these are people who willingly went into the snowy mountains. That's true. <laughs> well, maybe not the airplane. The airplane probably didn't mean to crash into the mountain, but the hikers. Oh. Maybe the pilot was having a bad day. <laughs> um, and there's also parts of uh, Siberia with glacial melts um, that have revealed uh, one of the things I saw was it was a um, not quite a worm. Well, a tapeworm, a type of a type of worm, uh, discovered in the um, after the glacial melt that hadn't been seen or dated back to I'm sorry, like six thousand years ago. And scientists are trying to figure out if they can extract the DNA and try and revive it, which if doesn't sound like the beginning of a bad movie at all. No, I'm really excited about the existential horror that can come from all of this. Yeah, please. Uh, Europe and Russia are not the only places with glaciers that are melting. They're also melting in Alaska. Overwhelming glacial melts caused a dam to break, which sent a river of ice water through parts Jesus. of Juneau. Is that how you say the capital of Alaska, Juneau? Um, okay. I don't know. Not a that one. Alaska nowhere. Sorry. Sorry to our Alaskan listeners if I've mispronounced that. Please teach me. I would like to do better. Um, the height of the water in the in the lake was 25% higher than the previous record high, which was set in 2016. And that's what caused it. The uh, It wasn't just overflowing, but it broke the dam, which took out multiple structures, including houses, and just sent this massive, fast-moving, churning, deep river of ice through the town. And it pulled out trees and all kinds of trash and debris was floating along. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it was really gross. And I want to talk more about that in a second, but I want to talk about hurricanes and and flooding because of those as well. And then I want to talk about if you're willing to go into um, what you should do in case of a flood really briefly, which we've covered before, but it would be nice to recap. But let's talk about hurricanes because they cause flooding too. So as we're recording this, we're just on the tail end of Hurricane Hillary, which uh, touched down in the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. Um, and when it hit landfall, it leveled down to just a tropical storm. And that's a measure of, um, I think, the major cyclone dissipated. There were still really heavy winds and a lot of rain, though. So it was a severe tropical storm. Um, it traveled north up through Tijuana and San Diego. It skirted Los Angeles and continued into Nevada, affecting 
areas as far over as um, Los Angeles. Uh, when it touched down on land, it had like an 80 mile impact range, which um, narrowed as it continued north. Uh, thankfully, we've only had one recorded death so far because of the hurricane, which was uh, one person in Mexico and their car was flooded. Um, but otherwise, there hasn't been anyone who has died um, in Mexico or the U.S. that we know of yet. But the storm did break records um, all over the place. Uh, tropical storms in California are generally pretty rare. I know for folks in the East Coast, Southern East Coast, more used to hurricanes and that kind of tropical storm weather. Um, but it's really uncommon in California. And I'm unclear on uh, just how historic the storm was been because one record said that um, California hadn't seen a tropical storm since the 70s and another one said that it hadn't seen one since the 30s. So I, it, I think this one's definitely more severe than what they saw in the 70s, but maybe not the... Um, yeah, I could thing. see it. I could see a place being like, it's the worst since the 30s gets turned into, it's the only one since the 30s and maybe there was one in the 70s that wasn't as severe, yeah. Yeah, and from yeah. like reliable news sources, so it was really unclear. Yeah. I didn't have time to like go look at the federal data or anything, but but it's severe. There were historic amounts of run rainfall. Um, the wettest day on a record, for instance, for Palm Springs and San Diego and uh, downtown LA, San Bernardino saw thirteen point five inches of rainfall in a little over a day. So that's, that's more God. than a foot. Yeah, and to be clear, like anyone who isn't aware of. Uh, some of us lived in a place that flooded a lot um, a couple years ago and floods would get triggered by two inches of rainfall like um, flooding like an inch of rain doesn't seem like that much right you're like oh that's like not even up to the top of my toes or something right um, but yeah like there's a disproportionate impact from heavy rain quickly that can happen and cause all kinds of flooding and mudslides and, and things Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, to, yeah, just to put that into perspective more, um, we, we talked about this on another episode, but I hadn't really done the math yet. Like, I, I think th that 13, whatever inches over like two days might be a new record in the United States. Like I, th I think Kentucky set the record like earlier this year for like 13 something inches of rain. And it's like the most rain that's ever fallen in like, um, in like a one or two day period. And to put that in perspective, like that over like, you know, 10,000 square miles, which is not as much as it seems, um, is Lake Michigan. That is a Lake Michigan amount of water falling on a very small area. Mm. Yeah, I remember you talking about that because I remember the Lake Lake Michigan allegory. Um, it's wild. The, um, does that mean there's sea monsters uh, in the rain? Yes. That's cool. Probably. And all we have to do is find them and make them our friends. Excellent. <laughs> I can't believe everyone's like worried. There's just going to only cool stuff is going to come of this. We all get free Mad Max mobiles. Uh going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been complaining about drought in the southwestern United States, but but parts of Nevada had six inches of rain in 24 hours. Yeah. It's funny and how I they measure it. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say they talk about global warming, but there wasn't a river of ice going through the capital of or a town in Alaska. Like that doesn't sound like global warming. I, I I'm so afraid someone is going to think I'm telling the truth here. I'm being entirely facetious. I think the people know you by now and where yeah, you stand on this, Margaret. So. Okay. Oh, sorry. Just fact-checking myself. The state of Vermont is only 9,200 square miles. So Lake Michigan falling on something about the size of Vermont, which it basically did during the Vermont flood. Cool. That's perspective. <clears throat> okay. Well, Nevada's six inches don't seem that impressive anymore. Although there were parts <laughs> of the desert in California and Nevada that uh, have no recorded rainfall uh, no, no history of recorded rainfall that got rain for the first time that we know of. So that's fun. Some parts of California got half of the year's worth of rain in one day. So however much falls in an entire year fell in 24 or a year, half of that fell in just 24 hours. Um, flash floods have diminished as of this recording, but, uh, the areas will be at risk for mudslides and landslides for quite a while. And by the way, just for fun, uh, the city of Ojai, outside of LA, had a 5.1 magnitude earthquake. Um, it wasn't just Ojai, it was kind of the whole area was felt in LA too. So literally at the same time as the tropical storm was passing through, there was a 5.1 earthquake. You know, because like you grow up and you hear about the, the biblical flood and then you hear that like, no, it's going to be the fire next time. And then people are always like, ah, see, it's like the fire, the forest fire. no. It's just going to be a, it's just both of them. It's just going to be a like, why not both dot gif. <laughs> For sure. It's going to be like, okay, burning floods. And I mean, I guess that actually has happened numerous times in the United States. But anyway, burning floods. Uh, well, usually like rivers of fire because of um, pollutants that catch fire. This is more of a 19th century thing. We've gotten better at um, hiding some aspects of our pollution since then anyway sorry mm. margaret's writing a book in her head right now rivers of fire um yeah we talked about what to do in flood conditions before but i think it's worth recapping especially since we're just getting into hurricane season for the areas that have that as a problem and i know we talked about one of the most important things is to stay out of the water and there's a lot of reasons to do that right i mean part of it's that it's filthy and not just like oh my gosh it's dirty but like general genuinely toxic filthy uh yes. cause severe health hazards and then there's also if i remember correctly dangers in the water like stuff that's broken loose that you might not be able to see that is flowing through that could hit you one time when i yeah. was in a flood when i shouldn't have been um because we were trying to like clear up some blockages. Don't do anything that I'm describing having done. It is uh, like pure coincidence that all of us survived being as dumb as we were when we did this. Um, <laughs> I pulled a hypodermic needle out of the floodwaters. And this is like oh. rural ass Western North Carolina. Like there's not a city up river or up Creek from where we were. Like there, there's going to be nasty shit in that water and then also like weird random large objects and then of course any moving water any moving water comes very quickly um a lot of people overestimate sorry maybe this is what you're about to get into i'll just finish this last no, part I, of it no i want you to um, talk about this uh a lot of people overestimate the ability of their vehicles to drive through water you will be shocked absolutely shocked 
to know that the kinds of people who tend to overestimate their vehicle's ability to move through the water are people with large American pickup trucks. I don't mean Americanism <laughs> like um, Fords versus uh, Toyotas. Right. I just mean the the style of like giant chud truck that um, Americans have. Um, that is not what allows you to drive through water. Um, and yes, there are specific off-road configurations of vehicles that you can use that are more specifically designed through driving through water. They are not even those are not designed to drive through flood water, which is a very variable level of water. Those are designed to ford creeks and rivers and shit. Um, overall, people trying to drive through floodwaters is one of the main causes of death in floods. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think that they're going to help, but one of the first rules of disaster response, much like one of the first rules of like um, crisis mm-hmm. first aid and like a care under fire situation, like if you know, you're in a war or in America and people are shooting, um, then uh, you don't want to make a new casualty. That is like one of the most important things. And so untrained people trying to go into floods to rescue people thinking, I have a big old pickup truck, I can save the day, mm. are very often going to cause more problems than they solve. Um, this isn't to say that there aren't ways to help. This isn't to say there aren't ways to get into these places. But it's the kind of thing you need to like study, you need to know about. Um, there's a reason that people fly small aircraft into flooded areas instead of driving. Um, okay, sorry for that rant. Please continue with. No. Actually, that's exactly what I wanted. I was going to say, Margaret, you know the most about this. Remind us. <laughs> um, um, it takes only... 12 inches sorry it takes only 12 inches of of moving water to float almost any car yeah wow any car that is not designed to be driven through um floodwaters can be floated in up like under a foot of water you know one of the videos i saw out of the the rains and floods in california was someone whose whose suv was floating and they were like pushing it in the water because it was floating along it was i mind blown yeah (laughs) a little bit um and then also for dealing with floods uh, one of the main things that comes up is don't go hide in your attic as the waters rise get on your roof Mm. instead of into your attic Um, you don't want to get trapped in your attic there are places where floods are really common where like this is sort of apocryphal i read it in a book about disaster um uh, there's like places where it might be common for people to keep axes in their attic so that like worst case scenario, they can like chop their way free. This seems like a big elaborate, just get on your roof. Um, <laughs> it is safer than being in your attic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for the safety reminders of the floods. And I know we talked about this, I think last year, maybe when there was some flooding, that um, there's people who have never experienced flood conditions that were experiencing it uh, for the first time and doing some dangerous and uh, kind of silly things, but that maybe don't seem silly if you're not used to dealing with floods. So, Like the people the shooting TikTok videos of like floating around on pool floaties in the flood water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to admit, there's a part of me that's like, I can't actually shame someone for just being like, fuck it. I'm going to go have fun. <laughs> it's dumb. It is a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. 
Um, I mean, in all seriousness, I, I, could, I could see myself if I had like a unicorn pool floaty thing, being that person who is riding the unicorn pool floaty floaty yeah. because fuck everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I grew up in a hurricane heavy place and there are some things that I'm currently like flicking through my mind of that I did as a kid that I'm just like <laughs> how did I not die <laughs> like yeah <laughs> how indeed I'm, we all I'm glad those. you didn't me right. too let me do one last bit of weathery things here okay. uh, and then I'll toss to Inman to talk about it in more detail um but speaking of hurricanes still, Hurricane Dora uh, helped to um, <clears throat> cause the severity of the wildfires in Maui. Um, and I feel like everyone knows about this, but I was literally in a store uh, the end of last week and um, the checkout person was talking to the customer uh, and the customer hadn't heard about, or no, sorry, the checkout person hadn't heard about, it doesn't matter which one. One of them hadn't heard about the fires in Maui. And the other one was like explaining to them what had happened. And I was like, oh, okay, people maybe haven't heard about this. Um, anyway, uh, uh, first of all, all the Hawaiian islands are struggling with drought conditions uh, right now and have been for a while. Um, there were brush fires that erupted uh, in Maui early in August and some of them sort of on the north, the it's the West coast, but it's the Northern Western coast because Maui has this kind of funny shape to it. it sticks out over there um, uh, outside the city of Lahaina, which is a, a very historic city for Hawaii it used to be um, a capital back when um, Hawaii was ruled by a king and queen that had unified the islands. Um, that was a capital place. Later when it was ruled by Hawaii instead of the United yes. States. The fucking people who it belongs to and should get it back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that city basically burned down overnight. Um, there were people who got noticed to leave and got their things together within maybe half an hour and got out of there. And then, uh, within an hour later, everything was gone, just completely burned down. Um, and part of the reason that became so severe is because there was a hurricane that was quite a bit south of the islands, but uh, Hurricane Dora, that still had enough wind power that it was fanning the winds and the flames in Hawaii and um, helping those oxygenate those fires. So they grew really big and moved really quickly. Um. There's more wildfires on the West Coast because it's wildfire season. But I think, Inman, you maybe had some more details on the Lahaina fire. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was trying to dig, you know, more into just like, because there, there was a lot of stuff with the Lahaina fire that um, when I was hearing about it initially, it was it was these like incredibly, incredibly alarming things. And. Um, one of the, one of the big things that, you know, the state is saying is that like, there was little to no warning. This is like a, mm. a, a tagline that's being used. Um, and it's like, it's, it's part of that is true because the, the fire that destroyed Lahaina and that was the, and the fire that probably, probably killed most of the people who died, um, uh, happened incredibly quickly but there were fires all day leading up to it. 
in different parts of Lahaina. And like starting with a brush fire at like three o'clock in the morning, like, you know, not in Lahaina, but like near it. And um, then another fire caused by downed power lines, um, kind of like closer to Lahaina. And that fire was contained. And then, and this is from like 3 a.m. to like morning, there's just fires. And the then uh, later in the morning, there was a brush fire like in Lahaina. And um, they claim to have uh, contained the fire 100% within like a couple hours. Um, and then either that fire restarted or another fire started. And this is the fire that ended up consuming most of Lahaina. Um, and so like there, there was an entire day of fires happening around Lahaina before this like big fire. And, um, so it's, you know, obviously I wasn't there. I don't know what was, what was happening, but this, this narrative that there was like little to no warning becomes like a little bit complicated by the fact that there were fires like all day prior to that. Um, but my, and this is, you know, this is a projection, this is conjecture, but like, I, I think that part of that is we live in a, we live in a time when like disaster is so rampant that like small disasters we write off. So like, yeah, Hmm. of a brush fire down the road. We don't think about it. We're like, the authorities will contain it. We have this idea that these like small instances can be contained by the infrastructure that like the government has built and it absolutely can't. <laughs> um, hmm. And so that, because yeah, there's like, there's other reports of like the national weather service, like saying there is an incredibly high risk of fire for specifically this place Mm. like in the days leading up to it and right sorry go ahead oh yeah um and so just there like it's it seems like that very little preparation was done and like like authorities like admit to having evacuation plans sort of but nothing that um was in place for like getting an entire town of people out of that town um, I think that, that one of the things about like the, the fire danger high thing, like I think most of the time these smaller things are successfully contained. That does not mean that they won't not be. And, but it's like, like I drive, you know, every day I live in the woods and I drive past a sign that's like fire danger today. And it's like settings are like, it starts at medium, you know, it's like medium high extreme everyone's on fire while you're reading this i don't know i don't remember the actual categories but like it's never at medium it's always at high right and then if it goes up higher than high people suddenly notice this and i don't think this is the fault of my local fire department i think that this is like they're actually trying to convey you live in the woods you should always be ready but i i wonder whether it's creating this situation where people are like Oh, it's always high, whatever. There's a brush fire. There's always a brush fire. Like, you know, even like in the Pacific Northwest, like in fire land, um, you know, I think people are just like, oh, there's always fires at this point, right? It's become the new normal. 
That's I don't know. exactly what I was going to say, because we have these, when you drive around it and you go to the forest areas, they have those signs that have the little yeah. uh, indicator bar and the color yeah. danger. And it's in the summer, it's always set to high. Yeah. And yeah. fires are up to me like, yep, it's wildfire season. Like, that's just what it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some, some metaphor about the frog in the pot. Yeah, totally. Mm. Um, um, I have, I have a little more, a little oh, more good. to say about the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, so, um, you know, the, the fire that, the fire that destroyed Lahaina, um, was moving at a terrifying rate. It was moving a mile a minute. <laughs> like that, that's how fast the fire was moving. <laughs> Um, the entire, the entire town was destroyed in like less than an hour. Um, and there, so there, there, so it's, it's not that there weren't like kind of like evacuation, like things like suggested for people. There were people, people were advised to evacuate to some degree. Um, one other thing that happened is that the, um, downed power lines also brought down cell towers mm. and a lot of fiber optic cables got destroyed. And so like cell, co- mm. there was absolutely no cell coverage in Lahaina during these events. And so like the only ways that people were communicating were hotel resorts that had satellite phones. Oh, so wow. like there's, there's like large parts of the rest of Hawaii that like had no idea that there was a fire going on in Lahaina because of extreme breakdowns in communication infrastructure and like there being very few people who actually had satellite phones. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the situations of the fire, but, um, just as you know, a fun historical note, um, we, we talk about drought and we talk about, uh, hurricane, uh, conditions being, big causes for this fire and another big cause of this fire is colonialism um the uh a lot of the grasses in maui is this like guinea grass that was an imported Mm, grass from um by you know uh europeans at the time and it was brought over to graze cattle on and (laughs) also for ornamentation and it was brought over by sugar barons and like pineapple barons. Um, and so like there's this invasive grass that can grow 10 feet tall and is highly flammable and like can sustain fires of up to 20 feet high. Ooh. And this is in comparison to the native grass, which is relatively fire intolerant and only grows like two feet high. So the, the conditions for a fire like this have been brewing for an incredibly long time. Um, yeah. And now that Lahaina is, you know, it's the, the town's completely, almost completely destroyed. Um, there are still reports of, you know, hun- like hundreds of people are still missing. And I think like at this point, like less than half of the the wreckage of the town has been sorry, um, explored. And so there it's like the, the, the death toll is, is like in the hundreds right now and is expected to get higher, you know, basically every day until I all have, of the, things. yeah, I have that. Data I have the most recent there. numbers in front of me. Oh, go ahead. Um, 
they're down from the the missing person's names used to be this is 19 hours ago as we record uh, as the most yep. recent that I could find um the current death toll is uh, 115 people with 850 people still unaccounted for um and the the only positive thing is that like it used to be 2000 people unaccounted for and most of the unaccounted people are being accounted for as alive. Like so far it's been 1,285 individuals have been accounted for off of that list. Um, This is still obviously one of the worst things. I'm not trying to downplay it at all. It's it's fucking massive. This is way, it's just awful. I'm just, I'm happy for the 1,200 people and their families. Um, I'm not happy, well, I don't know how to say this. Yeah, it's all bad. Yeah, and like part of the part of the thing that's really terrifying about some of how some of the deaths happened, and I think this is a thing for people to think about as they uh, deter- like come up with evacuation plans, is um, a lot of so a, a pretty large amount of people who died. Um, were either like just in their yard and the fire just swept over them or mm. there's also reports of a lot of people who died fleeing and they yeah. died in their cars stuck in traffic trying to yeah. escape Lahaina as it burned behind them and a lot of the and there's reports of hundreds of people like fleeing into the ocean from yeah there were uh, a lot of like from their cars rescues. from their houses mm-hmm. Um, there was um there was one couple that was this is a positive story that I want to interject if I may that um, that was uh tourist where they were tourists in the area and their rental car um I think caught fire when they were trying to escape so they got out of the car and just started running and uh, a local family that was uh, driving through stopped and and crammed them into the back seat like sitting on top of their laps and stuff and drove off with them and it's the only reason they survived is that that other family was willing to stop and load them up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And my last little thing about the Lahaina fire, sorry, this is, this is a long dive, but there's, there's a lot um, is so in the, in the wake of the fire um, there like community, like local communities, there, largely made up of indigenous people to that Island are facing land grabs from both the state and Mm. from private investors. And there's, stories of people getting calls about from like, you know, over overseas private investors who are trying to buy up their properties. And then the state on the other hand is trying to also acquire that land for workforce housing um, or to make it into they there's a couple like suggestions, like the governor's like, like workforce housing or, open spaces to make it a a memorial. Um, But none of the options being discussed by private investors or the state is like returning people to their, to homes, you know, obviously those people's homes don't exist anymore, but like, or the houses don't, but like their home still does exist. And that is that place. And that is not on the table to Hmm. return it to the people who live there. Great. So giving the, giving the land back is not an option, huh? That's all I have to say about Lahaina. It's is yes, it was terrible. No, sorry, I got a few more climate things uh, to talk about. Um, 
Although I guess I, I kind of want to say, no, I'll do the climate things and then I'll do this little mini rant. Okay, so <laughs> the heat wave in southern France has shut down two nuclear power plants because the water used to cool the plant is too hot to be used to cool the plant. Um, I'm glad that they are aware of that and turn down, turn off the reactors rather than, um, you know, having them melt down. Uh, but this is the kind of like consequence that tends not to get thought about, right? Um, uh 2023 is on track to be the most expensive year in for maintaining power infrastructure in the United States for thunderstorms. I haven't really thought about thunderstorms. Like thunderstorms are the thing that happen around me the most, right? But okay. um, we tend not to think about them as like major crises, but they have been devastating power infrastructure across the country. This is on track to be the most expensive year to maintain power infrastructure. Um, some of the stuff that actually Inman brought up about like in, on Maui, it's like... Uh, other countries bury their power lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's more expensive, and it's like the U.S. is like more has less dense of a population overall, right? I understand why people make these decisions to have raised power lines, um, but it is an infrastructural decision that has consequences. Um, and let's see. Uh, Two-fifths of the world population currently live in areas with high water stress, according to Washington Post investigation into this lots of like maps and shit you can look sadly about where you live or whatever um and high water stress means a combination of like water suddenly not being as available as well as um water usage so there's a lot of places that are not high water stress that are arid because a lot of people don't live there or there's not a lot of industry or there's not a lot of agriculture there right um but the places with high population densities that are having high water stress are uh of particular note we should be um, paying attention to them. We should be thinking about how to help them. We should be thinking about it as relates to ourselves, whether we live in these areas. Um, South Asia is in particular trouble. I, I would go ahead and say from a climate change point of view for the most number of people um, affected, the Indian subcontinent is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Just frankly, it is in trouble from massive heat waves. It is in trouble from water stress. Um, it is in trouble for a, an awful lot of things, and it is one of the most densely populated parts of this world. Um, uh, South Asia is in particular trouble. Also, Spain, Italy, Turkey, Iran, Southern California, Southern Arizona, and then a lot of places actually in the American Midwest, like Nebraska and stuff like this. Um, and it again, there's like other places that are also in a lot of trouble, but tend not to be as high population density. I mean, I, I'm not reading the whole list. Um, it's just a thing worth checking out. It's a thing worth thinking about. Uh, these tend to be places where more water is being imported than locally produced um, mm-hmm. in a, a way that is unlikely to be sustainable. We're getting more and more situations, for example, where water is being trucked into places. And obviously, it takes a lot of physical infrastructure to truck water places. Um, water is notoriously heavy. Um, seven pounds per gallon. What's that? Roughly seven pounds per gallon. Oh, okay. I was like saying seven miles per gallon. I was like, yeah, that's probably what the trucks carry get. <laughs> um, and um, it's like what a school bus get. A school bus might get nine. Anyway, uh, depends on if it's diesel. <laughs> the wildfires in Canada continue to be real bad. And yeah. if you look at a chart of this, this is like a new version of real bad. Um, the year is not, the season, the wildfire season is not yet through. And it is already about, six times five six times worse than any of the past like seven years 
Um, so even as compared to the new normal, this is no longer, we already passed the new normal. Nice. Um, Yellowknife Canada, 22,000 people were evacuated uh, separately, and that's in the Northwest Territories. Um, separately, 30,000 households in British Columbia, Columbia have been evacuated. Um, drought is fucking up the Panama Canal. Remember we had that whole like um, boat that got stopped in the canal and everyone was like kind of happy about it, even though we knew it was bad. Yeah, Remember that, that was pretty funny. Ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we all like started paying a little bit more attention to how the Panama Canal is like where like um, 40% of the goods delivered to the East Coast of the United States from Asia go through the canal, for example. It's just like one of the absolute main shipping routes in this world, right? Um, and like 80% of international shipping or something like that happens by these like massive boats full of uh, cargo containers. Um so drought is fucking up the Panama Canal because the Can- Panama Canal doesn't actually... I always just imagine it's like, well, you you dig a hole and then the ocean fills it, right? That's like kind of how a canal works in my head. That's not how a canal works. <laughs> a canal works through a system of locks. It's like steps for boats. Um, and you have to have like fill the thing. And then and the, the locks are getting filled from a lake um, uh, named Gatton Lake. And it's a rainfall-filled lake that is used to fill it. This is the second driest year and 143 years of record keeping for Panama, which is normally the world's fifth wettest country. So this is not the kind of thing that Panama normally works about, think worries about. Um, And the record heat is evaporating that lake and the lack of rainfall is causing it. So what's happening is that they've had to lower the maximum weight for ships and they've had to reduce the number of ships that can come through in an effort to conserve water. Um, This means that tons of cargo containers are getting like offloaded and then taken by train across the country. It's just fucking everything up. If there's a, if your car is at the shop and it's been there for months and they haven't been like, Oh, we don't know when the part's going to arrive. It it might be because of this kind of shit. Um, And one of the things that this makes me really think about is that people tend to think about the crises that are like really unique to their areas. They're like, Oh, I don't worry about hurricanes. I live in Los Angeles. I worry about earthquakes, right? Well, welcome Mm -hmm. to hurricanes. Uh, And I don't think about drought. I live in Panama. Well, welcome to drought. Um, I'm not trying to be blithe, whatever the word is here. Um, And so, like, I don't live in wildfire land, but there absolutely are a ton of wildfires on the East Coast. Um, They have not yet overall hit the number of the, like, square mileage of fire as they do out west um but it is it's frankly worth thinking about shit that's exceptional um uh okay so the other thing that it was that your baby rant or do you know i'm about to do the baby rant I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to like work my way into the baby rant um she's gearing up for it folks i i watched <laughs> a tiktok video where it's talking about like masking for example and it's talking about how like People don't want to mask because they want to get back to normal. And the person's just like, look, there, you have to mourn the old world. We have to say there is a time that we grew up in that is not present anymore. We are not in a pre-COVID world. We will never again be in a pre-COVID world. There are certain things that will have to change. And I'm not saying no more shows or no more large gatherings or whatever, but like there are things that we're going to have to take into consideration that we didn't used to have to take into consideration and our math will change. I will be wearing a mask uh, in grocery stores 
for the conceivable future. Mm. Um, this is not a, a major problem. Literally, the only problem is that people stare at me, but people stare at me anyway, so I don't give a shit. Um, and I'm not telling people what to do or not do about this kind of math, but like we have to mourn the, a world that doesn't exist. And so one of those things, I think it is very useful. Uh, Brooke and I were talking about this a little bit before we came on to record that like people, this is the summer where people are starting to get it. This is the summer where people are like, oh, climate disaster is here. We cannot ignore it. A larger per- percent of people are incapable of ignoring climate disaster. And it's like leading to all these effects. And now I'm just saying what Brooke told to me about, Brooke, I don't want to take it away from you. You want to talk about the people in no, Los Angeles? No, go ahead. Angeles. I like your recap. Okay, so, like, so people in Los Angeles like took evacuation seriously, or people in Southern California took evacuation seriously. And it's quite possibly because of this shift of perception, this shift of understanding that disasters are part of our life, lives. And so... One of the things I believe that this is an argument for preparedness is now has to be part of our lives. And if you're listening to the show, you're probably on some level into this idea. Um, but I, I was thinking about like, okay, you know, I have a big old chud truck that I was making fun of people for, right? And I know not to drive it through flood water. Um, if you don't have proper training, I don't have proper training. Maybe I should have proper training, right? Um, there are kinds of decisions that we need to make that are we can't make them based on the old old world. We have to base them on the, the real world, the current world, including what we want to do with our lives. And so this is my argument for wildland firefighters are fucking heroes. Um, and there are uh, anarchists and there's queer women and there's like all kinds of people who do wildland firefighting and are like working on debrowing this environment. Um, and it is a hard thing to do and I'm not, I'm not personally quitting my job to go out and do this. And I'm not telling people what to do. But when we think about like, what do we want to do with our lives? We need to think about what we want to do with our lives based on the new paradigm and not the old paradigm. Um, and so maybe with the tech bubble collapsing, you want to think about vet school instead or maybe you want to get into wildland firefighting or maybe you know like like farmer is a pretty fucking sick job um and i don't know um that's my that's my mini rant i i don't entirely know where to go with it i'm just thinking about how like we we should figure out how to be people who are helping um because there's a set of crises and we should be thinking about what we are doing to be people who make this world better and how we or mitigate the worst of the crises that are happening um, and how we can use our voices and how we can use our skills. You know, do the things that play to your skills. Like if you're an artist, there's so many groups that need flyers and shit, you know, and if you're a whatever if you're a party planner you can throw fundraisers if you if you're a bookkeeper actually the world fucking needs you way more than people are like oh i'm a bookkeeper i can't become a radical what am i gonna do you're like well you can do bookkeeping (laughs) for radicals we fucking need it um (laughs) that's my rant uh i'll take comments on it before i go into the next section (laughs) Um, my, my only comment is, mm-hmm. uh, cause I was unaware that you could do this and I think it's really cool. Did y'all know that you can start your own firefighting 
co- like wildland firefighting collective. Seriously? And like, yeah. Wait, really? Yeah, wow. I know. I know, like multiple people who have started wildland firefighting collectives, and um, you can work with people you know and care about. You can like get. I mean, it's like funding through the same places that other that private companies get. So it's like from like a lot of it's from government peop- grants, like whatever. Yeah, but like, it's from the people who have money. We should get yeah. their money. I'm not gonna fucking <laughs> yeah. anyway. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. It's just oh, cr- like a wild thing. I didn't know you could do. I was like, wait, that's not illegal. And then I was like, yeah, I get you. You can just do that. You can start a you can start a fi- firefighting collective. Fuck yeah, yeah. And Sold. It, even Done. like cityish ones are um, often volunteer, uh, and they're broy. But as as someone I once care about put it, no one becomes a firefighter because they want to hurt people. This is to compare it from the broy culture of uh, firefighters to the broy culture of cops, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, that's what I got for climatey shit. Um, you want to talk about the rise in anti-LGBT violence? Eh? Eh? No, I don't. Oh, okay, well, but I should know what's going on in the world. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about three events from the past month, um, and then Inman's going to deep dive one of them. Uh, on July 31st, so since we did our last recording, O'Shea Sibley was a 28-year-old uh, black gay man um, who's a professional dancer and a choreographer who he and his friends were playing Beyonce in a gas station in Brooklyn, and they were, like, voguing. Um, and a group of men came up to harass them, and they uh, defended themselves against this group of men, um, and O'Shea was stabbed and, and killed. Um, and I'm very grateful that this grabbed national media attention, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, it's awful that it happened. I'm glad that people are noticing and paying attention to this kind of thing happening. Um, in Minneapolis, uh, on August 11th, um, six people were injured and one person was killed at a punk house called Nudie Land. There was a a punk show. There was 30 to 50 people at the show. And the best information that I have, this has hit mainstream news, but this is like more, when I say our scene, I don't assume the listener is inherently a punk, but this is like the the scene that I'm from. And a lot of my friends were very close to August Golden, the the person who who died. Um, The best information I have is that two people showed up, uh, were turned down by women who called like, by, by women who are like, no, I'm queer, fuck off, you know? Um, August maybe asked them to leave the place. Uh, they came back and they started shooting. And oh. um, August Golden was, was 35 uh, and is remembered as one of the kindest people that has ever been put on this earth. Uh, once again, killed for standing up um, against bigotry, you know? Uh, September 18th, September 18th? What month is it right now? August 18th? Uh, Lori Ann Carlton was a, a straight, white, 66-year-old woman who owned a clothing store called Magpie in the Glen, um, which is in Cedar Glen, California, which is outside of San Bernardino, which is outside of Los Angeles. I don't know shit about Southern California, so I always have to put in all the... Is yeah. outside of... Is yeah. outside of. Um, and... She like put little pride flags 
in her um in like pots and stuff outside of her store and people kept tearing them out so she just went and got a bigger pride flag and she put it up um because <laughs> she's fucking awesome it's and great so far yeah can we end there she, she she gets killed but uh fuck yeah. oh fuck sorry i don't know if i didn't know you didn't know that. i apologize um i just want to talk about how amazing she was and, and so before i talk about the violence that ended her life um she had spent like 15 years as an executive kenneth cole at like a fashion design place. Mm-hmm. And then it was just was like, fuck it. I'm going to like own these small clothing stores and a small, like she would like, like when a blizzard hit the area, which is again, not a normal thing in that area. Right. Um, uh, she converted her store into a relief center with her husband and just, it turned into a free store to make sure that everyone had what they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was an ally, but she was an ally. Like um, I'm actually really, I, I don't mean to discredit, how do I want to say this? We need allies. We need allies like we need allies in a war, right? Like um, France can't stand alone against the Nazis kind of allies is what we fucking need. Um, and, and that's what she was. People kept ripping down her pride flag, so she kept putting up larger ones. Um, and uh, a right-wing Christian nationalist named Travis Ikaguchi uh, who posted lots of anti-abortion, anti-Semitic, and anti-LGBT stuff on um, social media and Gab, who followed Jordan Peterson and Matt Walsh, uh, he, who believed that Michelle Obama was a man and denied climate change. He went missing the day before the shooting, and then he showed up and he started yelling at um, at Lori for having this flag, and she refused to take it down. Or I think maybe he had ripped it off and, and she had confronted him or something like that. So he... He shot and killed her. Um, and she was a mother of nine. Whoa. Uh, one of our listeners was friends with one of her friends when I posted about this. Someone messaged me about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like, there has been a rise in anti-LGBT violence. There was a lot of it in June that got um, a lot of different LGBT groups put together like basically calling a state of emergency as this like rise of violence. Um, you know, cause it's, there has been all this really extreme anti us rhetoric. The, the thing I want to say about it to, is that we don't come from cowardly backgrounds as queer people, right? Mm-hmm. We don't come from people who we, we didn't, get where we have gotten by fear um, and it has never been safe to be us um, and that has never stopped us from being us and it will never stop us from being us even more than like you can be like oh you can kill the anarchists but you'll never kill anarchism or whatever like uh, after World War II they had killed so many fucking anarchists that it kind of we weren't around for a little while on a national stage You, it is impossible to destroy queerness um we've always been here we will always be here um and uh and the thing that i always keep harping on is that um courage isn't the absence of fear it's the presence of bravery you know um we there are things to be afraid of um i think and this is not an I think 
that the way that we get out of this as safely as possible is to not hide, is to not go back into closets, is to not... And I'm not saying, like, take stupid risks or whatever. Everyone's going to balance this differently. Like, I don't walk around in a plot pride flag shirt where I live. I, I mean, people can tell I'm queer. Um, but, like, I think overall... Um, when I say we need allies, I, I, we need allies. Like, this should not be a reason to take down your pride flag. This should be a reason for more people to put up pride flags. Um, and and that's not safe. And there's not. I'm not saying everyone in every situation should do it. You know. Yeah. Uh, I get that. I, I mm-hmm, every year for June since it's. Pride Month, not to give you yeah. the commercialization of it, but I love the excuse. I deck out my house and my front yard in Pride. Like I have a little bunting banners that go along my front fence and 5,000 <laughs> small Pride mm-hmm. flags that go in everything in the yard. And I usually do something in my window. And like, it's just the most rainbowy gay ass house. But yeah. I also know that like three doors down, there's like a chud gang of motorcyclists, you know, right wing, extreme right wingers as well. Yeah. And as much as like my house makes me smile, I always worry that, you know, them or one of their uh, cohort is going to, you know, come yeah. possibly fuck me up or fuck up my house because of the rainbowiness yeah. of it. And it's, it's a weird line to walk for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Um, Margaret, I, I don't really have much to actually add to the to the Nudieland shooting, um, except that um, there, and maybe we'll link to some of these in the show notes. But there's a lot of GoFundmes for for folks who are um, who survived who survived the Nudieland shooting, and for folks uh, like su- like support networks for people like August's uh, partner um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know various other people who were who were impacted from being there or like providing support for, uh, people who were, for people who were injured there. Um, and yeah, yeah. Check, check some of those things out. And, um, also just to note that, um, the, so like, yeah, like one, one, like the narrative coming out of it, like to the best of people's guesses of like, reasons for the reasons for the shooting um as being as being these like queer this queer phobically motivated shooting um Mm -hmm. is being incredibly underreported on um even though this is an event that gained like national media attention um the fact that uh and stuff it seems like people have been saying from the start that it was um like this uh queer phobically instigated instigated violence is that's not the part that's being reported on in the national media. Okay. Um, and I think that's, you know, I'm not surprised, but, um, but I think that's something that we should all be thinking about is, I mean, everyone knows this. I'm, I'm <laughs> feel like I'm preaching to the choir here that like the, like national news media, like outlets, they under report and like, uh, and don't properly contextualize events that happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. And I'll say that 
one of the things that is a skill that we are learning as a community that I never would have expected us to specifically need to learn 20 years ago is we're learning community defense. And we are learning what it looks like to have present security, armed and otherwise, at events. Um, this doesn't solve all problems, um, but it is a, a, a thing that we can do, that we can do to take agency, uh, is learn self and community defense um, and learning the skills to, I mean, like, sometimes community defense, like, I, I uh, a couple years ago, there was a, I don't want to, like, name the city, but there was a, there was a city and there was a show and there was a bunch of young queers who were not political at the thing and some guy showed up and everyone survives this story, to be clear. Um, and this guy showed up and was like pissed off that he couldn't dance with the queer ladies or whatever and got run out and he came back and he shot at the house. And then after that, the local like radical queer co community showed up and hung out for a week or so ready in case this person shows up um not to looking to instigate just literally looking to help people feel safe in their homes you know um and like i think community defense um much like wildland firefighting much like a lot of other things is like uh the kind of thing that's worth looking into you know, the most the most obvious, like easiest to get involved with my things might be like drag defense, right? Because these are some of the flashiest places where this kind of confrontation is happening. Um, I would say if you're thinking about getting community defense, if you're the kind of person who's like angry about all this stuff, this is probably not the best way for you to get involved. Um, or rather, if you are someone who has anger management issues, um, you know, become a medic instead. I don't know. Um, you know, play to your strengths, not your weaknesses. And uh, the kind of, per doing community defense is like a very specific skill set in which machismo is the enemy. Um, and not, like like just literally you will be worse at it. And there's you should look into other things. I don't know why I'm rambling about this. Uh I got two little positive news things I, I put down in my notes. Yay. <laughs> uh, let's see. They're not... Well, one of them I'm really excited about. Um, the Lyme's vaccine for humans is underway. Uh, they're Whoa. in stage three trials this year. Um, Pfizer's doing it. Um, and... I, I first noticed because I got an ad on Instagram that was like, sign up for Vi Lyme's volunteer duty. And I'm like, I'm probably not gonna, but that's fucking cool. Um, I live somewhere where Lyme wrecks people, you know. Uh, also, chronic fatigue syndrome research has taken a big step forward um, with uh, like researchers have noticed a protein that is blocking cell energy production that is elevated in folks who have chronic fatigue syndrome. And I some of the medical research that's coming out of COVID is causing a lot of people like long COVID research is causing a lot of people who've had long viral infection things to be taken more seriously. Um, 
and like increased research in those areas. And I'm excited about that. And I'm excited that the summer has woken people up. And I am excited that like with anti-queer stuff, like the reason that they, um, this is a backlash. This is not a, 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 they are on the defensive, right? They had all of the power. Cis white hetero patriarchy had all of the fucking power. And now they don't, they don't have all the power because we are fucking taking a lot of it back. And that scares them. And they're backed into a corner. And when you've backed your enemy into a corner, they turn violent. And that is just like a part of life. Um, but it is a sign that we are winning. It doesn't always feel like it, but that is what is happening. On that front, we are winning. This is their organized backlash against us. We are making substantial progress. Um, I, frankly, even with this current, you know, these, these, these news articles catch headlines, but it's like, I don't know, anti-gay violence was fucking all over the place in the 90s. Yeah. You know, like, and then before that in the eighties, well, that was systemic and genocide against gay men by uh, medical neglect. Um, I don't know. And it was like socially sort of, I don't want to say it was socially okay, but like eighties and nineties, it was more like, yeah, well that happens. It sucks and it's bad. We shouldn't yeah. do it. And now it's like, Whoa! Like there's there's more general social outrage, I think, amongst at, the broader at the anti-gay people. violence. Yes. Yeah. Now, so totally. Yeah. Um, my little, you know, I I hope I wish that the fire didn't happen, but my one little positive point is that um about the Lahaina fire is that um. Uh, oh, like the majority of relief efforts were being carried out and still are being carried out by locals and not by oh, yeah. the National Guard or by um, which which, you know, is like it's like terrifying on this on the side of like, like, why isn't this like aid being done? But it's like awesome on the side of, um, you know, these communities know how to take care of themselves and. Yeah. We don't need the state. Yeah. And so become someone who helps. And that is not always direct. Sometimes that is di- helping the people who are doing the direct work. Like in this example, you know, don't fly, don't become someone who helps by flying to Hawaii and showing up and being <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm here to help, but instead make the connections with the people who are doing that and give them money, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a pretty apocalypsy month. <laughs> a little bit. We picked a good. Uh, it's a growth market. Um, <laughs> apocalyptic <laughs> ranting. When I used to stand on the street corner with the sky has fallen sign, everyone thought I was crazy, and it turns out they were right about that, but not in the way they thought, because the sign. But now is they correct. become Patreon supporters and and pick up our signs to educate themselves. <laughs> Oh, I'm that's waiting. Right. You're waiting for Brooke to learn how to pronounce the word zine. I'm wait, yeah. No, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for <laughs> like a meme. I'm waiting for the like in my it's day meme. meme. Uh huh. And it's like it, it's like the opposite. Like when I was a like I feel like our our grandparents uh-huh. or whatever were like when I was a kid I walked to the to school in twelve feet of snow and yeah. like 
like now it's going to be like in in my day we had really moderate weather and yeah, totally. <laughs> stuff was mostly fine yeah the internet was reliable <laughs> air conditioning units were sized in order to successfully keep houses cool <laughs> all right grandma I now want I now want Io to illustrate all of these all of these yeah. good things for us. Oh boy. All right. Um, Brooke, you gonna take us out? I should, but I have to go find the thanks lift. So somebody riff for me while I go get it. Well <laughs> if you like this podcast, then probably the most important thing is do the helpy thing. Um and do the get prepared thing. And the other thing you can do is you can help support this podcast and have it help it happen. We pay our audio editors and we pay our transcriptionists. We have like a dream of one day paying the hosts, but we figure like the people doing the shit work that doesn't get any like clout or attention or whatever probably deserve to get paid first. Um, And so we pay those people and we pay those people with money that comes from you dear listeners. It comes from our Patreon supporters. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. And if you sign up at uh, $10 a month, we'll mail you a zine every month. It's like different cultural stuff. Some of it's preparedness. Sorry, a zine every month um, (laughs) because it's short for magazine. Um, (laughs) The email, I say its name every time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you can sign up. And in particular, eh? Oh, wait, wait, but do you um, want to know another really fun way that you can support the publisher, <laughs> Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, and this podcast? What is I it? Do. Is it telling Tell people me. about it? Come hang out with us tomorrow in Seattle, um, because we will be at the Seattle Anarchist Book Fair, and you can buy books and signs from us tomorrow, as of when this episode comes out. Well, actually, no matter when you listen, whenever you're listening, we <laughs> yeah. will be at the Seattle Anarchist Book Fair tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I look forward to meeting so many of you in person. Uh, but we do particularly want to thank our Patreon supporters, uh, including Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Thunder. Jans, Oxalis, Janice and Odell, Paige, Ally, Papa Runa, Milicia, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, Sean, SJ Page, Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Kaj, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Kirk, Sam, Chris, Micaiah, and Haas the Dog. Haas the Dog. Haas the Dog. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you next time.